welcome back to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and joining me this week on the podcast is fellow Pensburg writer. He is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how are you doing this evening? Good. It's good to be back. It's been, oh man, like two years, I think, since I've been on here. Uh, but um, yeah. good to be back. I mean, it's been a lot's happened since the last time I've been on here, but uh, good to be back. Glad to, glad to be taking this up and look forward to it. It has been, I think, like you said, two years since since your last appearance on the podcast, and obviously a lot has changed since then, and a lot has changed with the Pittsburgh Penguins since the last time you appeared on the podcast. We will get into all of the most recent Penguins news, but like we start off every Pittsburgh podcast episode, we will start with a our typical recap segment, and we'll start with the game against the New Jersey Devils from March 20th. 2021, a game in which the Pittsburgh Penguins won by a score of 3-1. to one. Uh, The scoring starts off with New Jersey Devils forward Kyle Pal- Palmieri gets the scoring going at the 7-19 mark of the first period to get the first goal for the Devils. The Devils take a one to nothing lead, and they would close out the first period holding on to that one nothing lead. Heading into the second period now at the 4.59 mark of the second period, the Penguins tie the game up thanks to Zach Aston Reese's sixth goal of the season. And a couple of minutes later, Brian Rust notches his 11th goal of the season to give the Penguins a 2-1 to lead on the power play. And in the third period, the Penguins get their third and final goal, Jake Gensel's 13th goal of the season, Sidney Crosby registering his 20th point, or 20th assist, excuse me, uh, of the of his season. The Penguins win by a score of 3-1. to uh, not a ton of offense to speak of here, Robbie, but uh, given the Penguins' injury situation, and we will get into that momentarily, uh, the Penguins do what they have to do here against the Devils, get a nice 3-1 to one victory here. Uh, do you have any additional thoughts you'd like to share on uh, what you saw from the Penguins-Devils game from March 20th? Yeah, I think the important part of that game is, uh, maybe some forget, but they were coming off a loss two nights before that, and New Jersey's one of the teams that we talked, or that many have talked about, of being one of the those teams that they have to beat if they want to make the playoffs. It's just you got to the easier part of the schedule. It was them and Buffalo were the two teams at the bottom of the division. You had to beat when you couldn't get that win on uh, Thursday night. You had to come, you had to win that game, and it was an afternoon game, uh, and they the slow start but rebounded. Just a very crucial win after the letdown a couple nights prior. And moving forward to the Penguins' next game, they played the Devils one night later on March 21st again in the what concluded their little two-game miniseries here. This would be a game that the Penguins would end up losing by a score of 2-1. to one. Sidney Crosby gets the scoring going, gets his 12th goal of the season at the 337 mark of the first period. The Penguins take a one nothing lead, and that would be all of the scoring you'd see until the, uh, uh, until the second period when defenseman Sammy Vatanen ties the the game for the Devils at the 448 mark of the second period, and it would remain a 1-1 game, a game that the Penguins and Devils would take into overtime, and Jesper Bratt would get the game-winning goal on a wraparound for the New Jersey Devils, his second goal of the season. The Devils take a 2-1 a win here. Uh, Robbie, I think the, the main point from this game that I can remember is that uh, this looked like a game that it, it clearly showed that A, the Penguins were a pretty exhausted team by this point, 
and B, their lineup had been completely decimated by injuries, and that is obviously a talking point that we will get to momentarily. But I'll hand the microphone over to you. Do you have any additional thoughts you'd like to share in the two to one, uh, two to one loss to the Devils from March twenty first? Yeah, like you mentioned, the uh, they one they were exhausted. They had played. They hadn't had two days off uh, consecutively since I believe because I wrote about it uh, like the next day in over a month almost so they were exhausted injuries were catching up that said when you score four minutes into the game you got to find a way to get another I understand sometimes the goalie seals one but the Penguins had plenty of opportunities in that game to get uh, ahead again and they just couldn't do it and the overtime goal three on three a lot a lot can happen maybe Jari slightly overcommitted just it just, that happens the important part was they got the point and out of that three game set with the Devils they took three, and it goes into the next uh, set of games here. But they got through that. They got a point, got some time off then. And that they did, Robbie. As you kind of alluded to there, the Penguins get two full days off after playing, uh, I believe it was five games. Was it five games in seven days, Robbie? Uh, do you remember what the what the uh, how many games they played in that set of time? I think it was five and seven, I, but I, I'm not certain. Yeah, it was, I mean, since I mean, their last day off, they they had a back-to-back against Boston. They had five games, like you said, five games in seven days. And then even go, it's just, it was every, it, it's not, they didn't play many back-to-backs, but it had been every other day since the 22nd, 21st and 22nd of February was their last back-to-back consecutive off days. So they were playing every other day for almost exactly a month. You had five and seven coming out of that. You had a back-to-back, a brutal back-to-back against a physical Boston team. Yeah, it was just they needed to get to that two-day break. And that they did. The, the next game that they would follow up with is uh, another contest against the depleted and uh, really honestly pathetic Buffalo Sabres team on March 24th. This would be a game that the Penguins would win rather handily by a score of 5-2. to two. Looking at the scoring summary here, Evan Rodriguez gets his third goal of the season, gives the Penguins a one nothing lead at the 7.36 mark of the first period. Chris Letang would uh, double the lead, give the Penguins a 2 to nothing lead here, gets his sixth goal of the season at the 15.44 mark. The Penguins lead 2 to nothing. Rasmus Dahlin, uh, with about three minutes to go before the end of the first period, gets Buffalo on the board. The Penguins take a 2-1 to lead into the first intermission. And uh, this is after the after the Penguins come out of the first intermission. Uh, the, the Penguins really explode on the score sheet. At the 7:29 mark, John Marino gets his second goal of the season, makes it a another uh, multi-goal lead for the Penguins. Here they lead three to one. Zach Aston Reese gets his seventh goal of the season at the 19:36 mark of the second. This would be a shorthanded goal and a, a pretty nice play by uh, fellow bottom six forward Frederick Gaudreau uh, that led to the Zach Aston Reese goal. The Penguins lead here by a score of four to one heading into the third period. Uh, the three, the three fifty-seven mark of the third period. Sidney Crosby gives the Penguins their fifth goal. Uh, the Penguins, at this point, lead by a score of five to one. Basically, everything gets wrapped up here. Uh, Victor Olafson on uh, converts a penalty shot here, gets his ninth goal of the season. Gives Buffalo, I guess you could call it a consolation goal. That would wrap up the scoring. Pittsburgh wins by a score of five to two. Uh, looking at the, uh, the the sum of this game. Uh, 
rather convincing fashion. The Penguins have 42 shots on goal. They win 53% of their face-offs. They do go 0 for 5 on the power play, Robbie. But uh, considering we know how bad this this Buffalo Sabres team is, uh, a pretty convincing 5-2 victory for the Penguins. They did what they had to do here. Yeah, and again, it's Buffalo a game against Buffalo. It's I know it's hard to beat a team eight times in a year, but Buffalo is one of them teams that when teams, when your opponents or your rivals like the Islanders, Capitals, Bruins are all going to be taking points off Buffalo, you got to do the exact same thing. So you had to go out there, uh, get the job done, whatever way, and they did that. And I think what really stuck out in this game was one that two days off clearly was showing. They looked fresh. They looked hop in their step, ready to go. And the goals came from, besides the Crosby goal, depth scoring. Latang, yeah, Latang, he's going to get his goals. We need him to step up and get some goals here. But you had Zach Aston Reese, uh, shorthanded. You had John Marino getting back on the score sheet. You had guys that they're going to need those guys to score through these, not only just through these injuries, but if they want to have any success in the playoffs, the bottom six scoring has just been so bad. So, it's good to see those guys getting on the score sheet and really at the end of the day, just getting that win, uh, kind of getting rid of that bad taste from Sunday and just how fresh they looked in doing it. And you mentioned a couple of points there that we're going to take into our next segment here and talk about one player in particular that the Penguins lost in that 5-2 to two victory over the Buffalo Sabres, that player being Kasperi Kapanen, who appeared to get hit around the ankle area in the first period of Wednesday's game. It, it, I think he was able to return for a bit, then he left in the second period, and I don't believe he finished out the game. Uh, we now know, uh, since we are recording this on uh, Thursday, March 25th, we now know the status of Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, Josh Yoey of The Athletic has reported that Kasperi Kapanen is out week to week. Uh, and he followed up with an additional tweet here that I think can add a little bit of perspective here. Currently, the Penguins are dealing with injuries. Obviously, we know they're dealing with a ton of injuries here. But here are the players that are out of their lineup currently. Evgeny Malkin. Uh, Jason Zucker, Brandon Tanev, Teddy Bluger, and now Kasperi Kapanen. That's about $23 million worth of forwards and five of the Penguins' top nine forwards. And uh, he goes on to close his tweet here by saying he's not sure how sustainable it is to win in a situation like this. Robbie, as we record this episode of the podcast, the Penguins are uh, playing the Buffalo Sabres in the second half of a back-to-back, and uh, they are currently leading currently uh, winning the game one nothing and the goal the goal scorer for the penguins was the player that i don't want to say replaced Casperi Kapanen, but the player that's going to come in and take that forward spot the 24 year old czech prospect redeem zorona gets his uh first goal first nhl career goal uh with the assist coming from anthony angelo so robbie you kind of alluded to it there getting that depth scoring uh it's nice to see Number one, as we record, it's nice to see the Penguins uh, maintaining a lead against the Sabres with their incredibly depleted lineup. It's nice to see uh, a rookie like uh, Zorona getting his first NHL goal, obviously, and the assist coming from Anthony Angelo, which is a nice touch here as uh, we're currently recording into the first intermission of that game. But Robbie... Looking at the the status of Kasperi Kapanen, we now know he, that he's going to be out week to week. And in, in Mike Sullivan's speak, that could be anywhere from one week to three and a half to maybe even four weeks. In Mike, again, in Mike Sullivan's speak, week to week is typically um, 
although they're go- they might miss uh, a decent chunk of time week to week, hopefully means that they'll like, they like to have him back before the end of the regular season. Uh, but I'll hand the microphone over to you again and, and look at looking at what the Penguins have iced tonight in terms of forward lines. You have Gensel Crosby and Rust on the first forward line, and then the other three lines, as bad as it sounds, can, can you make an argument and say that these other three forward lines are basically lines that you'd see in an AHL game? What do you think the Penguins' options are moving forward? And at, at, what, 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 what can they do to try and to to try and soften the blow of replacing another top six forward in Casper Kapanen? That's it's not going to be easy, whatever they decide to do, because it's just so much missing right now. And not only that, it is. It is key, key players, like you said, the first line, the Gensel Crosby rest line still intact and. There was talk about maybe splitting that line up to go to kind of spread it out down the roster a little bit. And I just think when you have a line like that, uh, just roll that line as much as possible. You just Russ and Gensel are going to be more productive with Crosby beside them. Uh, They're goal scorers. They've proven that. I think you just have to keep that line there and roll with it. But from there, I honestly don't know what the answer is because. Your centers now are Jared McCann, Mark Jankowski, Freddie Goudreau. Not exactly – I mean, McCann, maybe he gets on one of them hot streaks again like he was before he got hurt, which would be a huge boost right now. But outside of that, you're really just kind of plugging and playing and hoping something works. Uh, you have that second line of McCann, Aston Reese, and Rodriguez tonight against Buffalo. It, it just so much is missing. It's going to be a plug-and-play type thing until you can figure out exactly what works and all you got to do now is just hope it works uh get as many points as you can it's not going to be easy you have uh, games with the islanders coming up this weekend and and then you have boston next week you have a long road trip but luckily you have the rangers and devils two teams that you should at least be able to get points against but like josh yoey said just how long is it sustainable? I don't know. You just got to get points when they become available to you. And Robbie, that's kind of what I was going to say as well. That's kind of the Penguins' saving grace at this point is that the you, you kind of hope uh, to get points wherever you can. After, uh, after the game against the Sabres on March 25th, like you said, they'll play the Islanders for two games on March 27th and March 29th. Then they'll play the Bruins on uh, April 1st and April 3rd. After those four games against two of the better teams in this division, the Penguins get the Rangers for a two-game set on April 6th and April 8th. The Rangers aren't going anywhere this year. They'll get the Devils for another two-game set April 9th and April 11th. They'll get the Flyers for one game. The Flyers are free-falling currently. Nothing seems to be going in the net and they really aren't finding success there. They'll get the Flyers again on April 15th. Then they'll get the Sabres and Devils again to... uh, towards the end of April as we head into the month of May. So the Penguins' current saving grace, like I said, really comes down to the fact that, and we had mentioned this before, and it has been written on Pennsburg as well, that the, the Penguins' hardest part of their schedule seems to be in the rearview mirror. And if they can tread water and withstand this current injury situation and hopefully, like you said, take points where they can get them against the, the likes of the Devils and the Sabres, if they can eke out a win here and there against the Islanders and the Bruins, that's just the cherry on top of the icing, on top of the cake, in my opinion. So 
on paper, this lineup as it's currently constructed is not very, uh, it's not very attractive outside of that first line with Crosby, Gensel and Rust. Uh, Mike Sullivan's hope and the rest of uh, Penguins fans hopes lie in all of the depth players and the Penguins are going to be looking for that next man up mentality, those kinds of contributions from your bottom sixth. And one thing that we haven't really mentioned here, and we've mentioned on previous episodes of the podcast, is uh, the trade deadline, uh, which I believe is April 12th this year. And, you know, we've mentioned on previous episodes of the podcast that the Penguins don't really have a ton of trade chips. They don't really have a ton of assets to be dealing come trade deadline time. But Brian Burke gave uh, gave an, an interview to Josh Yowie, I believe, a couple of days ago, where he said that uh, if the Penguins have options, if if a trade becomes available to them, that they're certainly going to entertain those options and try and make their team better any way they can. Robbie, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we close out this segment and move into our mailbag segment? Yeah, I think the trade deadline talk is very interesting for many different reasons because, I, I one, there's not much not much capital they have to give away. Uh, they don't have a first-round pick this year. Um, I don't think they're very interested in moving um, either of your top two prospects and guys like uh, Nathan Legere or Sam Poulin, who are currently in juniors. And uh, But again, this is the first trade di- deadline with this new management team, so tough to say. I haven't studied Ron Hextall's past quite enough. I know he likes to draft. He's done pretty decent in the draft if you look at uh, the current uh, Philadelphia Flyers team. A lot of those young guys are his draft picks. Um, Burke, Brian Burke is a old school mentality kind of guy. We know what you're getting with him. Uh, he's won Stanley Cups. He ha- has experience with trades, but I think they both understand that there's not a lot of trade capital there right now. I don't know what all is out there in the market. And so they have, not counting tonight, they have just about a handful of games left. And really, by the time the trade deadline comes, there's really only about four or five weeks left in the season at that point. And I'll go back to kind of what I've seen some people say and what I'm thinking as well is if you don't feel like you you can make the run this year, that's fine. Because maybe sitting back this year, making the playoffs, maybe you win a series, whatever, and just kind of reevaluating the offseason and then really going for it next year. You have a full season, a full offseason to get healthy and just evaluating where the team's at to take a big run next year. I think maybe that is the best option unless you just have a trade that you don't think you can pass up this year. And maybe it's a trade that not only approves them this year and helps them maybe take a small run, but it even carries over to next year that helps them build for another run next year. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said there, Robbie. Uh, I've thought to myself, uh, and I'm sure I'm sure several other Penguins fans have obviously obviously thought this. Like you, if if it's not there this year, you know, the, the, I'm sure the Penguins they take all of this pride in in wanting to continue their their consecutive playoff streak. They've obviously you could make the argument they've been the best team from top to bottom in the salary cap area, uh, salary cap era for what they have accomplished with Crosby and Malkin and Latang. But with this, with this season in particular being so, uh, so strange and so different from years past and all of the different question marks that the team has faced both internally and externally. If, if, if we reach a point where, like you said, that it, it's not there 
if the penguins, heaven forbid, they 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 just fall down the standings, they're really clawing and trying to find their way back to clinch that last playoff spot. If it's not there this year, I personally wouldn't be opposed to them just hit, trying to hit the reset button and and putting all of their attention into what looks to be a relatively normal offseason heading into the 2021-2022 season. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I am at, too. Maybe they just, I mean, I'm saying a whole reset because obviously you expect Crosby, Malk, and Latang, all those pieces to come back. Jari looks like he's finally becoming that that guy that we all thought he could be and that we all needed him to be. And it's not a full reset, but I mean, unless the move is, and we'll talk about, I think one of the mailbag questions kind of puts a name out there that I'm, that I understand why it's being asked, but I don't think it's uh, a right to pursue, but make a move this year that carries over to next year. They can regroup in the off season, assess the prospects, give the management, the new management team of Hextall and Burke a full off season to evaluate everything and then really gear up for next year. Hey, whatever you get this year, just call it house money. We will take that and move into our mailbag segment. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in participating in this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account, at Pod on Twitter. Every week we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation. We love getting all sorts of crazy, wacky, fun questions from all of our listeners. We really appreciate the interaction that you give us week in and week out. Robbie? Uh, your first time back on the podcast in a couple of years. We have a pretty jam-packed mailbag segment. Uh, I'll give you first crack at the mailbag this week. The Battle on the Boards podcast is here, and they ask the following question. The following guys have the same flexibility in this position. They all shoot right, and they, they all have some value to the team. Provide your rank of who should stay with a healthy Penguin squad. Anthony Angelo, Evan Rodriguez, Sam Lafferty, Colton Sevior, and Freddie Goudreau. In terms of what I've seen, I really like what I've seen out of Freddie Goudreau. I know it's only been a small sample size. I, we kind of got used to him a little bit in 2017. He played on that Nashville team that was in the finals with the Pens. I re- he's just fast, and he can kill penalty. He just I really like what I've seen out of Freddie Goudreau, but I'm going to put him at two. Because I really, I'm still on the Evan Rodriguez train. I really like what he can bring to the game. He has decent hands. He has a nose for the net. He fits in with the, the way they're kind of trying to play. He's never going to blow you off on the score sheet wise. But I'm going to put Evan Rodriguez at one. I just think he's really good for what they need. There's a reason they brought him in. I think he has a place in Pittsburgh. Freddie Goudreau, really, they just took a waiver on the dude. And he's... In my opinion, in the small sample size we've seen him, I got to go with him at two. Then it gets a little complicated. Um, I'm going to go at three. I'm going to put Anthony Angelo. He had the assist on Redeem uh, Zahorna's first career goal tonight against the Sabres. I just think he's just young. He has speed. He does seem to like to shoot the puck. He is pretty crafty. I, he just When you're out there, you notice him more than you notice some of the other guys. And then I guess it's... 4A and 4B, I'd put Sam Lafferty and Colton Sevier. Man, it just, Sevier, when your goaltender has more points than you, it's never really a great sign. Lafferty had the nice assist on Rodriguez's goal on Wednesday evening against the Sabres. So for them two are kind of just there at the bottom, but 
if I was just ranking them, I'd say Rodriguez, Goudreau, Angelo, and then Lafferty and Sevier at the bottom. I, you just need something more out of them guys. Lafferty, I think if Bob Grove tweeted tonight, Lafferty hasn't scored in 30 games played. Uh, it's just not it's just not good enough uh, to play at this level. Um, Angelo, I mean, he's not a big goal scorer, but he scored this season. Rodriguez has potted some, and Goudreau hasn't really been around long enough to get a full kind of look at him. But so far, I mean, the speed is something they need. Uh, he's a four-checker. He had a nice penalty kill. The play he made against Buffalo to get set up Zach Aston Reese on the penalty kill. And he's going to be up there, but I still like Rodriguez as my first choice out of that list. So I'll give you the second question. This one comes from Cole Del Vecchio. If you could pick your own goal song, what would it be? So this is a, uh, a pretty unique question. Robbie, I don't know. I don't know how much stock you put into goal songs or anything like that. For me, a goal song has to, it has to have some sort of catchy hook and something that you can either chant along with or clap with. Uh, the, I know the Penguins, they they were using Party Hard for the longest time. And then last season, they went away from it. And they were using Jump Around. And then I think this season, they brought back Party Hard. Because so many people were like, well, where did Party Hard go? That was like, that was such a like an energetic goal song. You know, after a goal, everyone's up on their feet. They're clapping along with the beat of that song. I don't have one song in particular <laughs> that, that I can pick here. What I can tell you is that uh, I think it's the Blackhawks goal song, Chelsea Dagger. Is that That's pretty catchy. Like, you know when the Blackhawks score, you know what song is coming afterwards. Uh, the New York Rangers have a pretty catchy goal song, even though it gets on my nerves sometimes. So I don't have one song in particular that I can say is, oh, it's my go-to favorite. Uh, that's what I want for, for like the, a great goal song, but for the, like the parameters, the, the things that you need for a successful goal song, it has to be catchy. It has to be something that you can either clap to or sing along with in a short burst, something along those lines. Robbie, I don't know if you have any thoughts that you'd like to add for this question. I thought it was kind of neat. Uh, I don't know if you're, if you're that, that big into goal songs as some other people are. I know some people really like, they really take the time to analyze goal songs and goal horns and stuff like that. But uh, do you have anything you wanted to add to this question? I kind of like your thing there. I think it's kind of in, in the same breath as uh, walk-up songs in baseball. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, it's all personal choice. You could have a guy that's out there playing uh, rap music. You can have, I know um, he played for the Washington Nationals a few years ago, uh, the year they won the World Series. He played uh, Baby Shark. Um, oh, now, yeah, yeah. There was some superstition. Again, it's a superstition thing, too. Uh, but, I don't, I, again, yeah, it's all personal preference. I don't even know uh, what, I, what I would even really play. You want something that... Um, it just kind of fits your style, but I mean, obviously it has to be uh, friendly to the, to the audience, but no, I like, yeah, there's so many options you could, you could put on there. So um, it's all personal preference, really. All righty. Question number three for you, Robbie comes from Penn's hand. Uh, they want to know, do you actually think that crashing the net is fair? I find it dangerous for all players, especially the goalie and tough on the ref to call if the puck is buried under a stack of players while frustrating to wait for the whistle should a penalty should it should be a penalty for entering the blue paint robbie what are your thoughts on the 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 ideal of crashing the net well if you do it at the right time in the game you know that the refs probably looking to call a penalty even if there's not much there 
There's always that possibility, uh, Tim Peel. But, <laughs> yeah, it's obviously dangerous. But, again, a part of hockey, that's a part of sport in general. There's danger, inherent danger involved uh, in any sport. And that's a part of it. Yeah, you when you read about concussions and stuff like that, you have skate blades flying around. I, I don't know how you – that's not something you can just take out of the game, even if you try to let – because it's such an important part. Like, that's why – some guys are in the league. That's why Patrick Hornquist was so good at what he did is because he crashed his net. And I don't think I've ever heard any complaints about from players. I mean, you obviously have like, if you run over a goalie, you're probably going to get a face wash, stuff like that. You're probably going to get a penalty. I mean, it's been such a part of the game for so long that you can't, I don't even know how you legislate that out. You'd say that if you step inside the crease, then there's a penalty. It's a lot going on there. A lot to, I understand the, the the cause for concern because yeah it is dangerous you have 175 200 pound guys crashing onto a goaltender who um is generally pretty defenseless because he's trying to stop a puck from going in the net and yeah i can see the um the cause for concern as for the refs again it gets back to if you see it if the puck loses sight he's probably going to blow the whistle for it being frozen should there be a penalty for entering the blue paint? No, we've tried that in the past, and it only led to more confusion uh, in replay and what institutes a goal. I think that's a it just it, it gets to you're legislating too much. Then there's already kind of something for entering the blue paint where uh, that's the goalie space. If you're in there and you bump the goalie, you're either getting a penalty or if a goal goes in, you could just simply get it disallowed. There's so there's some rule there, but. As for completely getting rid of crashing the net, I don't think that's possible. And to the point is, is it fair? I I think, yeah, because, I mean, the goalie is protected by by rules. Like, you can't just tackle a goalie. You can't slash him. If he has the puck covered and you do take an extra whack, the ref will call that. So I think there's enough there to right now that it there is risk, but – it's not something that I believe is going to be potentially career ending for anybody. Question number four comes from Tony Nikunin. Uh, currently no third or fourth line. Uh, I'm assuming he means the penguins and I'd even argue there's no second line right now. Yeah. Uh, Jankowski seeming it's just not working. It hasn't worked since the very beginning of the season. So question, this is a multi-part question. One, who would you upgrade? Who would you upgrade with? from within, as in within the team, either from the AHL or the taxi squad. Uh, two, and who should the Penguins trade for? I guess that means if there's a trade available. And three, please take into account the expansion draft. Who should they protect for the expansion draft? All right, we got a loaded question here. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. All right, um, so question number one, who could you uh, upgrade with from within, looking at the AHL squad or the taxi squad, uh, and we kind of, I think we got a question about this last week. The Penguins, they don't have a ton of like a ton of assets that can come up and become immediate impact players. Uh, I know we mentioned earlier uh, Zahorna getting his first career NHL goal uh, in his first career NHL game. That's a positive. Who knows how this guy uh, coming over from uh, the Czech League? Uh, this is his first season in. In uh, playing in North America, he has nine points in 11 games played with the Baby Penguins. So 
we have to wait and see and uh, figure out maybe this guy could be a decent contributor on on the third or fourth line. Maybe that's the kind of player that the, the, the Penguins want to add. He's 6'6", six, six, I think 6'6", six, six, 230. So you can't teach height and you can't teach size. That's that's a dimension of the game that the Penguins don't have a lot of. So uh, assuming that uh, Zahorna gets an extended look with all of these injuries, we'll have to keep a close eye on him. Other than that, uh, your your high-end prospects like Sam Poulin and Nathan Legare, they're not even close to being ready for primetime NHL action. I don't think – I think they need no, at least no. – Exactly. I, I need they need at least I would probably say two, maybe three years of seasoning. And can, uh, I, can I throw sure. something in on Go that? ahead. Yeah. Just so I mean, it's easy to look at guys like Legare and Poland and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there are issues like you can't just call up from juniors. Uh, but I but what I will say is when we talked about earlier about looking building for a run next year, there's a chance that at least Sam Poland could be a very significant part of what we see next year, the, even as early, as early as next year, maybe uh, maybe more so in 2022, 2023. But Sam Poulin is not far off. Legere a little farther off, but there is some promise in that system with those guys right there. So while they're still in the junior league, um, Freddie Gaudreau has kind of exploded onto the scene as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another option. He, Zahorna... Um, but looking at the Wilkes-Barre Scranton team and the taxi squad, the Penguins do have a couple of okay prospects that are playing with Wilkes-Barre Scranton, but with how the Penguins are currently constructed and the forwards that they have in Pittsburgh, uh, I don't think that the organization is going to take the chances on uh, a guy like Jordy Bellarive or uh, there's a couple of other guys who were in their uh, early 20s down on the farm who have showed a little bit of promise in the past, but I still hold true to the mindset that the players that you have here in Pittsburgh, unless there's going to be a trade that's going to be made by the deadline, the players that you have here in Pittsburgh that you consistently see in the bottom six, those are the players that are probably going to end out the season in Pittsburgh, unless a crazy catastrophic, another catastrophic injury strikes and you need to pull somebody up from the taxi squad or, uh, or the AHL team. Yeah, I think – sorry, I'm just going to jump. Go, I go think, ahead. Go I ahead. mean, I think you're going to have guys like – I mean, Josh Curry's been on the taxi squad. I'm trying to just think of some – Drew O'Connor. I mean, Drew O'Connor's there. He has some – he has limited, but he does have – he did play in the NHL this year. Uh, Sam Miltek, I believe, has played in the NHL. So, I mean, if worse comes to worse, I mean, you do have some guys with experience that can maybe make a – plug in a spot but again Jason Zucker skating again you do have some guys as bleak as the injury situation is you do have some guys that will be coming back here hopefully in the next week or two to kind of stop some of the bleeding but I mean I don't think you're going to go out and you're not going to get a guy on the market I don't think that's going to radically change the situation no, and that will lead us into the second question from Tony here. Who should the Penguins trade for? Uh, I was listening to the NBC Sports broadcast intermission last uh, on uh, uh, Wednesday when the Penguins played the first game against the Buffalo Sabres, and they had Bob McKenzie in for an intermission report, and I wrote down this quote, and it, it, it really holds true to this point in the season. Uh, McKenzie said that the trade block 
is effectively paralyzed. I, I don't know if all of the action that we had seen typically on trade deadline day in years past, I don't know if you're going to get uh, I, I don't know if you're going to get all of that action this year just based on all of the the, the COVID restrictions that the NHL has put in place. Uh, you know, they're basically running four separate tinier leagues that are in basically four, uh, four separate bubbles based on each division. So maybe there's an increase in interdivision trading. Uh, but I, I just, I, I don't, I don't think who, who could the Penguins realistically trade for? Well, who's on the market right now? We floated the, we floated the name on, on the blog of Eric Stahl in the past, uh, the Buffalo Sabres, you know, we're seeing them a lot, uh, Taylor Hall, the Penguins don't have enough assets even to begin to think about a trade for a guy like Taylor Hall. If the Penguins are going to make a trade, set your expectations low and anticipate them trading for uh, probably like a top nine or a strictly bottom six-esque forward because they just simply don't have enough enough draft capital or enough enticing prospects or enough players on the NHL squad that can fetch a decent return. That's a good point. Because once everybody comes back, like where, like say you trade for Taylor Hall, once everybody comes back, where in the world is Taylor Hall really your third line center? I mean, that's great, that's fantastic, that's obviously something that that's a, the Penguins rely on that three deep center kind of thing. But Taylor Hall also costs eight million dollars a year against the cap, and the Penguins don't have that room, and they probably don't have the assets to do it. So you also have to factor in that these guys are all likely coming back before uh, before the um before the playoffs. It's really just getting to staying afloat until they can come back. That's really your big thing. So just getting some bottom six help goes a long way to making them a better team. So you don't need to necessarily break the bank and I go back to what I said earlier um let's okay, maybe you make a run this year, a small run, but maybe you make a trade that helps you for next year too. Yeah, there's. If they're going to make a trade, ideally, I would like that, Robbie. Ideally, if you're going to bring somebody in, uh, I'd like them not to just go for a pure rental like uh, Patrick Marlowe was last season. I'd I'd like them to bring in a Jason. Uh, granted, Jason Zucker did cost uh, quite a pretty penny to bring him in from Minnesota. If they're going to bring a player in, I, I'd really, really prefer it to be uh, a player who's going to give them value at the start of the 2021-22 season and maybe uh, even into 2023, depending on what the contract situation is like. All right, uh, and our third and final question here from Tony here. Please take into account the expansion draft. Who should they protect for the uh, upcoming expansion draft? Um the expansion draft really hasn't gotten a lot of talk, obvious for obvious reasons. We're still in the middle of this season, and uh, I'm sure it will. All of that, those kinds of discussions, will ramp up after the season as we prepare for the arrival of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, but the, I, I think there are a couple of ways to protect players. There are a couple of, I think it's seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie. And yes. I think the, the other is um, the other. Uh, what, what's the other? There's another. Way. I think it's eight skaters and a goalie. Yeah, that, 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 that sounds about right. And I right. think, if I'm not, if I'm correct, I think in, what year was that, 2017, they went with the eight skaters and a goaltender. I'm pretty sure that was it. Because I think it was Malkin, Crosby. There Again, this time there's going to be different guys that need to, like Gensel didn't need to be protected last time. Yeah. But I think Rust had to be protected. I can't remember exactly, but it was, Murray was a goalie. I believe it was Dumoulin and... 
Latang were defensemen. A guy that to try to find it exactly because so much has changed even in that little amount of time. That I can't exactly remember who all was protected exactly, but I, yeah, we talking about the expansion draft. We could sit here, I mean, we can have an entire episode just on kind of analyzing who the Penguins should keep. Exactly, and we're sitting here at the end of March, uh, analyzing, trying to analyze the expansion draft that's not going to happen until sometime in the summer. Uh, so circumstances are going to change between now and the expansion draft. But for the sake of Tony's question, uh, I'll go with the the um, seven forwards, three defensemen, goalie approach here. Uh, I believe, first and foremost, Crosby and Malkin have no movement clauses. They're going to be protected. Uh, Jake Gensel is the third forward that gets protected. I'll say Kasperi Kapanen gets protected. Yeah, Jason Brian, Zucker, Brian I was going to say Brian Rust after that. Uh, and that leaves the, the seventh and final forward spot. I'll say Teddy Bluger gets protected there. You're leaving out uh, Brandon Tanev. Uh, but all of the other all of the other bottom six forwards they have uh, besides Tanev, you know, you don't maybe, maybe Zach Aston Reese gets taken. Uh, but looking at the defenseman, uh, Latang is probably going to be protected unless something crazy well, happens. Well, you have to, yeah, unless they trade him because of his contract. Um, he has the, I believe he has a no movement clause. Remember, you have to factor in the no movement clauses as well. Uh, that they are probably uh, Latang's definitely safe unless they would, they would move him. But yeah, Latang has to be on there. I don't think Brian Dumoulin is going to go anywhere. Uh, nope. I think he and Latang provide one of the best top pairs in all of the league, and that third defense spot probably. I don't. I don't think. I'm not sure if John Marino at this point is forced to be on the list. I believe if I could find it, uh, I believe a few weeks ago, Jim, um, our fearless leader uh, <laughs> kind of covered in a piece. Maybe it was Gretz. I think it was Jim though. Uh, kind of covered in a piece, like how or who all would need to be protected or what system is best for the penguins to choose. And I can't remember if Marino was a protected or he, missed it because of his service time and stuff but obviously then your goaltender's jari yes yeah Go, the goaltender that gets protected is jari yeah, i don't see the smith being no but yeah there's going to be other there's going to be better goaltenders on the market than this and casey smith's in his late 20s and the penguins won't have to do anything to worry about that but yeah jari will be your protected goalie all righty uh question number five for you robbie comes from brian uh, complete this hypothetical question here if Buffalo, if the Buffalo Sabers go into complete burn it to the ground mode, which is very possible, and the Penguins somehow acquire Taylor Hall and or Eric Stahl from them, what do you think the lines would be with a completely healthy lineup? Also, just wanted to add that I don't think Hall adding Hall is likely, but you guys have posted on the blog about Eric Stahl in the past as a name possibly to watch. Yeah, the Taylor Hall thing. One, don't see it happening. Not really a fan of it either for just this, because he's under, he'll be a free agent in the, and likely be very expensive to keep even next year. And they just don't have the uh, pieces, I don't think, to make that work. And I'm not really a fan of giving away one of Poulin or Legere just for a couple weeks of Taylor Hall. So, uh, yeah, like I, like he said, even as well, don't see that as much of a possibility the stall, the stall one's very intriguing to me because one, it suddenly gives you that Crosby, Malkin, and different stall, but that stall piece 
again, down the center. It gives them that three deep center that they love to run with. It automatically makes your third line very good. Um, jo- or not Jordan. Eric Stahl can still play. It will not be nearly as expensive as Taylor Hall. I, it's a very intriguing possibility to me. You don't have to worry about any kind of quarantine to making it happen. Uh, he is a he's only 3.25 against the cap. Maybe you can even get some salary retention with Buffalo there because he's an unrestricted free agent uh, in the offseason. He wants to be on a team that's going to take a run, uh, whether or not the Penguins will be the best team. That's beside the point, but he's going to be on a team that can take a run at a cup uh, or at least has aspirations to take a run at a cup. I'm very intrigued by it. When I saw that on the blog, I'm like, I actually really like that move. So what would the Lions look like? Well, you can easily move Jared McCann to a wing. There's nothing stopping that. Uh, One, that gets Mark Jankowski out of the lineup. That allows you to put that fourth line back together of Bluger, Aston Reese and Tanev. So that uh, that kind of clears out that space and uh, makes that a little more manageable. Uh, after that, then you have you keep that first line intact. I'm assuming we are saying that we're all healthy at this point. So you have Malkin back to go along with Zucker. Yeah, let me pull up some names here real quick. Um, again, then you get into your extra pieces. Angelo, Zahorna, Gaudreau. I mean, Gaudreau, I, some of those guys can play both positions. I don't know what his history of playing in a wing position is. But a guy like Stahl does help. What the price is, I don't know. Is it possible? I don't know. But Stahl's going to be one, gonna, going to want to be playing for a team that he views has a legitimate shot at winning the Stanley Cup. The Penguins fit that mold. They have the aspirations. So a run at Stahl, I think, is not only a hypothetical sense, but potentially a realistic sense. Again, no real movement on the rumor mill in the past couple weeks, but regarding him and the penguins, but if, if there's a little smoke there, maybe there's fire there. So he definitely helps that bottom six. He lets McCann go to a wing and McCann can always plug a center. It lets you repiece together that really effective line of Tanev, Bluger and Aston Reese. And I just over, I really like, like that idea, but for Hall, don't see it happening. I think somebody's going to pay a lot for him and probably overpay for him for just a couple weeks. And because even though Buffalo is really bad, Taylor Hall's pretty, pretty dang good this year. And Buffalo's clearly going to be in burn it down mode. So yeah, I, I like the stall move. Don't like even the, uh, questioner even says that he doesn't think Hall is very likely, uh, but Stahl do like it. Question number six, unless you have something to add on that one. Nope, we can go and move right. to the last question. Question number six comes from Brendan. After seeing them on the ice, rank the retro retro jerseys in our division. Any other standouts you like from other divisions? All right, the reverse retro jerseys have been... Uh, a uh, hot topic of discussion throughout this season for various reasons. Uh, looking at the East division for, for this season, I've ranked from first from one to eight. Uh, I'll go with, I'll start with number one. The New Jersey devils uh, have the best Jersey in our division. 
Uh, I really like that classic 80s vibe and having the green as the dominant color there, I think works really well. Um, Pittsburgh comes in at number two. I've always liked the diagonal, uh, the diagonal design of the Pittsburgh coming down the entire, the length of the Jersey. Uh, the Rangers, I, I really like the Lady Liberty crest. I think that's pretty, it's you're obviously honoring the past in one way or another. And I think having Lady Liberty on the crest there, I think is a nice touch. Uh, Boston comes in at number four, the Bruins. I really enjoy the, the big, bold, bright yellow or gold or whatever you want to call it there uh, as the big primary color there on their jersey. Number five for me is the Washington Capitals. I viewed it as kind of basic. Uh, the Eagle Crest has never done anything for me. Uh, granted, I'm not a Capitals fan, so I don't really hold that in that design in higher regard. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of Capitals fans who are older than I am probably hold that Eagle design in a higher regard than I do. Number six, uh, the Buffalo Sabres come in. Uh, the color scheme is all right. They recently switched back to their what, what they're calling Royal Blue. And uh, the royal blue is comp is pretty good compared to the dark. I think it was a much darker shade of blue than what they had previously. Yeah, it's like a navy. Yeah. And I know a lot of uh, Sabres fans, basically everybody and their mother wanted that late 90s, early 2000s red Sabres look. <laughs> yeah, the old Buffalo head, yeah. So uh, I know a lot of Buffalo fans were, were kind of disappointed that, that they didn't get that. Uh, number seven on the list, second to last, is the Philadelphia Bears. And my question, I wrote this down. I said, what can you do other than making the primary jersey color black with an orange tint? Uh, that Because other than black and or those are two primary colors, orange and black, uh, I'm not so sure what you can do there to kind of differentiate yourself if you're the Flyers. Plus, I, you look at the arms and the sleeves on their jerseys. I think it's really it's a really weird design, how that's, uh, how that's presented. Uh, number eight, the final on... The, the worst ret reverse retro jersey goes hands down to the New York Islanders. Uh, I think it looks like your typical Islanders home jersey. Yeah. Uh, it, look, it looks like they didn't spend a lot of time trying to find a unique design. I know a lot of people, too, when we were talking, I just mentioned the, the, the retro Sabres look. A lot of Islanders fans wanted the, the Fisherman logo, the old Fisherman yeah, logo. Yeah, the old Gordon's Fisherman logo, yep. So And they didn't get that, so that was kind of a downer. Uh, and I have a couple of honorable mentions here from other divisions. I really, really like the Canadians uh, blue as the primary color there on their jersey, making it a primary color. I really enjoy the Avalanche honoring their past with the Quebec Nordiques. And I enjoy Winnipeg's contrast with their reverse retro. And they kind of rock a gray slash dark blue double tone kind of reverse retro jersey so uh, robbie as we close out this episode of the podcast i'll let you take it and if you have any thoughts you'd like to add for what you think some of the worst some of the best and some of the worst reverse retros in this division or around the league so some of the best reverse retros one i really really like the the rangers lady liberty i just think it's a very clean jersey they did a very good job with that the islanders like you said it's just it's just the Islanders jersey. They didn't change anything. Yep. Um, another one I see kind of like sneaky like is the Columbus one. Not in our division, at least this year. Yeah. But the red with the old CB and the yeah. stick J, that's their original logo. So I always like that. Uh, getting back to the Eastern division, I, I just 
the buff the yeah buffalo the boston one like you said the yellow is really bright really sticks out is really good uh the penguins i i've always wanted the diagonal to come back and i just think it works with the white it's just i'm a fan of it uh and the washington one i grew up a lot with the washington the eagle with the old black blue and gold yeah so it was nice to see that back in the colors they never should have got rid of to begin with uh so i don't i really I, I just think they're a very nice uniform. Uh, nothing, I mean, it's nothing too great, but they. It's nice to see that design with the color, the red, white, and blue. Uh, as for other divisions, just scrolling through here real quick, I've seen a lot of people rip it. I love the the flames with uh, the Colt with the flames. Yeah, the flaming horse head thing. Love, love it. I yeah. again another one that I kind of grew up with in. The 90s, 2000s, uh, again, and the Flames for a while. I, for, uh, I grew up in Johnstown. We used to have the Johnstown Chiefs, and the Flames were a uh, affiliate of the Chiefs. And when they'd wear their affiliate on their jerseys, they had the horse head for the longest time. So I kind of grew up seeing that. Can't go Carolina. You can't screw up going back to the Hartford Whalers jerseys, nope. uh, like you said with the. The Avalanche, perfect, love it. Dallas has maybe some of the worst. Oh, it's yeah. They, Dallas and the Red Wings both. Uh, they're one and two. However yeah. you want to rank it, Dallas and Detroit. They're yeah. Like what are you? What are you doing there? I, I I know for the Red Wings, I know your primary colors are red and white. So maybe yeah. there's not not a lot of wiggle room there. But I mean, it, it's oh, that those two jerseys. Yeah, Dallas and Detroit don't do anything for me. Yeah. Edmonton is a bit of a callback to the Gretzky days uh, with the white and the orange. The Panthers, just because I love the Panther logo, uh, the jersey itself, the colors are a little weird. I think it could have been red, uh, but I love the pan- the old Panther logo. And then there's one more I really wanted to point out because I really love it. And it is because I'm always a fan of the old Tampa Bay logo. Yeah. The black jerseys they had, I think that the blue with the old Tampa Bay Lightning logo with the bolt is chef's kit perfect i love it Uh, they did such a good job with it well robbie that will wrap up this episode of the pensburg podcast your first appearance on the podcast in yeah like you said at the start probably two years yeah good while yeah and for for the listeners of the podcast i'd just like you to know that uh robbie will probably be a our our full-time our new full-time guest host with me, and we'll, we'll be doing this every week. Uh, Robbie, before we get out of here, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up this episode? Not much. Um, I guess we'll see See you next week and see how the Penguins are doing health-wise, standings-wise, because uh, it's a big weekend, and they got to, I think, got to try to at least take one from the Islanders. And But we'll see how it goes. We'll see you next week. All righty. Well, for Robbie, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week. (laughs) 